Um, the reason Matt only read part of it is because you get two sermons today. <laughs> Faithfulness and goodness. Now hopefully they'll scrunch down a little bit. And we have already, since my brief time here, covered this Matthew 25 passage back when we were looking uh, at how Jesus taught on his way to Jerusalem in order uh, for his death and, and resurrection. And so we've, if you've been around, you've heard that before. If you haven't, that's okay. It's printed in your bulletin. You can see all this. There's a lot to read, and, um, and you can probably read faster with your eyes than you can with your ears. I looked this week on the most popular fruits. Really, the only way you can do that is by sales, right? Um, number one, this gets us into controversy right off the bat. With 182 million metric tons, tomatoes. <laughs> tomatoes. Uh, is t are tomatoes a fruit? Okay, this is, yeah, I so, told you. Uh, botanists say yes, everyone else says no. But when you think about all the different types of tomatoes, ketchup, salsa, we as a world eat a ton of tomatoes. Next in line is bananas, 115 metric tons. I don't know, I don't think there's a banana controversy, I just don't like them. I also think that banana is the worst fruit that presents as a candy. I don't think banana candy tastes like bananas at all. But I don't like either one, so I'm not a good judge. I don't know. What do you think? Watermelon uh, comes in at 104 million metric tons. Apples, 86. Oranges, 75. And down near the bottom, with 6.4 million metric tons, is avocados. Another fruit? I'm sure durian sales are skyrocketing across the world. Look it up. Look it up. Find out how many. You know, I told you before, I really like fresh pineapples. They're not high on the list. They're also larger, you know. So, uh, so this is more, I think, this sermon today, although we do have self-control coming up, everybody's favorite for the Spirit, but these two are a little more in the avocado care area than the uh, tomato area. Um, faithfulness and goodness, not two super sexy fruits. Let's talk about faithfulness first. When I think first thought of faithfulness, it is, is how many weddings I've done. As a college pastor, lots of weddings, not very many funerals. Thank the Lord. I've probably done getting up close to 100. Um, and, and I would always remind the couple, it's so beautiful and cool to see these two people standing right in front of you. And, you know, until they say these words, they're not married. It's, it's, it's mind-blowing in some sense. They could go the other way and not have been married. But in the space of 30 seconds to a minute, they vow to each other, and that's the deal. It's words. There's no special ceremony exactly. It's vowing the words in front of God and witnesses, not in the backseat of a car or something like that. And, and the vows are to what? 
I always make this point. They are to the future. Everyone knows that they love each other right now or they wouldn't be standing there. Look at all the time and effort that's gone into this day. All, all the clothes and, and, and planning. We know they love each other then. But you are vowing love, sacrifice, devotion, in plenty and in want, till death do us part five years from now, ten years from now, 20, 30, if the Lord will grant you such of that. It's not in that moment. See, you're vowing to be faithful in the future, during the good times and during the rough times. And so that, that vow that you make, excluding all others, taking only for myself, this person orders your relationships, directs your affections, promises your time, set apart your body. Wedding vows, faithfulness. You know, another vow that we take, uh, either as parents or as adults, is our baptism vows. That is another one, and you get it placed on you here in our Presbyterian ethos. It gets put on you, and then you grow up into it. You start to understand it more, but that baptism vow also calls you to be faithful, to work out your relationship with the Lord and with the church that you have vowed or been vowed to be committed. And that's going to take sacrifice. So we have these calls to be faithful to our spouses, to our friends, to our children, to our employees, our employers. And the fruit of the Spirit that calls us to that, again, the fruit of the Spirit. So in a supernatural way, it's connected into dependability or grit or stick-to-itiveness, faithfulness. And the reason is because God is faithful. We sung about that or we heard, we knew that was the song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And that, of course, comes from Lamentations 3. 22 and 23, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Amen. Amen. God is faithful. That's why we are faithful. Psalm 23 tells us that He is faithful as we go through the valley of the shadow of death. He is with us. It's like the footprints poster, right? He's carrying us through the sand. That's how we know. He's with us. So in, in Matthew 25, and we've talked about this before, we have this parable. And it's connected, of course, to, to God sending Jesus. And in this parable, the Master comes and He, he gives talents. These are like 20 years' wages which depends on how much you make as to how much you think that is. Some of them may be 20 bucks, you know? And he says, I'm going to go away. And in the in-between time, I want you 
to take these talents, gifts, graces, possessions, uh, even in some sense the representative of all the work that got done to get those. And I want you to be faithful because I'm coming back. So he gives instructions to the, to the workers about what to do with these talents and, and wages. And then, well, he comes back. And you can see the, the five made the five and the two made the two. And whenever that happens, what does he say? Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. In, enter the joy of of your master. He says it again, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. I gave you a little. Now, you know, one of them he gave a hundred years wages. That doesn't seem like a little, but to him who owns everything, it was a little. And then the one didn't do anything. Didn't do what the master had wanted. And what does he say when he gets nothing? First of all, he tells him, I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent to the ground. And the master says, you wicked, slothful servant. You know that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have... You knew that I have reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money, and at the coming I should have received what is mine in interest. And so he takes it away, and he casts out the servant into darkness. He judges inaction. He calls it wicked, slothful. Okay, so this parable reminds us that faithfulness is an act. It's not an idea. Faithfulness is doing stuff. It's not just contemplating stuff. And so we are called with what God gives us. A lot of the stuff He gives us is very similar. And then it's also very diverse. We all have different talents. Number, ability, and he calls us to, to use these gifts, talents, abilities, experiences. And when we do it, it takes a risk, right? We're never exactly sure how it's going to turn out. Even when you see these two people marry each other, you're like, this is a risk. I've been around the block. I've seen this doesn't always work. But you take these risks for the Lord. And when that happens, you, you understand how God works, who He is, what His character is like. You can enter into the joy of the multiplication. And that's what He said. That's His great promise. Not only does He say, well done, good and faithful service. He says, enter into the joy of the Master. Amen. So are you faithful? The answer is yes. 
you're faithful to something. There's not like a neutrality of, of where we hang out in the middle of not being faithful to stuff. You are faithful to a lot of things, ideas, people, uh, attributes. Sometimes you're going to say, well, I'm going to n- never do this. Remember we talked about that last week. Never, never say I'll never do this, but you're, you have this thing or I'll always do this. And so you have some ethic uh, allegiance. What are those things? You know, like never let them see you sweat is one. Okay, well, that's going to change the way you react to certain circumstances. Never be hurt ever again. That's going to change how you respond to things. And so we have these baselines that we're faithful to. People can be faithful to really terrible things and not even know it. Or, or, Or faithful to organizations that destroy and not understand it. Some of the things we're faithful to are right and godly, and some of them are wrong. Principles, values, teams, sides. That's hard to realize sometimes, isn't it? Where our faithfulness lies... sobering. And then we see the joy of God. The faithfulness of the Lord. That's where we root ourselves. That that God Himself is, is multiplying this fruitfulness with these talents and these abilities. He's multiplying the, the fruit of the Spirit even. So we see more of it. More Sure, yeah, He prunes and he adjusts, but then he he lies, he lets something lie fallow for a while in order to have a greater productivity later. But he wants this this fruitfulness, not a distance and passiveness, but a beautiful life in the sun, a sacrificial life in the sun, united life in the sun, and it that changes duty into choice. So faithfulness is connected to duty, but that's one of the problems is we think we're actually faithful when we're really dutiful. They're connected. But when you can go from duty into choice, I'm choosing faithfulness because my heart is changed, my affections are changed. That changes your total perspective. It changes service into a delight. So, so that changes our service, our duties, and this is hard, into a delight to be on the session, to be on the deacon team, to be on the pulpit search committee, to be on staff, to help lead worship, to lead small groups, to volunteer in various things that need to get done around here. Our tithing becomes a delight. 
so happy that we get to. Our prayers become delight. Think about foster parents and teachers and caregivers and RUF campus ministers and pastors even. This church is a delight. It certainly is to God. So I don't know if we have one or two or five talents. Well, let's not hide them. Let's not bury them. And so you see how goodness and faithfulness are connected in this passage. And that we're already sort of begging the question, God is faithful. Is He good? Is He good? We all know that goodness is squishy, relative. Was that a good season? Relative to what? The last season? Was that a good game? Well, it depends on which side you're rooting for, right? Was that a good meal? Was, it, was 2021 a good year? Some people love 2020. They got to be at home every day and never talk to anyone. Maybe that was you. Was that a good election? 50.1% thought so and 49.9% didn't think so. Was that a good policy? Was that a good haircut? I may have mentioned this, but you know, in the 80s, we'd go in and get a haircut and you got a mullet. That's what you got. It wasn't called a mullet, it was called a haircut. Was that a good haircut? Yes. Bring it back, bring it back. Was that a good album? Was that a good product? Was that a good movie? And it's all debatable. We all have these opinions. You should go back and rewatch movies that you loved when you were growing up. Like, I thought Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure was Oscar worthy when I was in eighth grade. I don't think it won. So a part of what happens in goodness, too, is you, you grow. You become wiser, or at least that's the idea. And in, in Bible terms, in theology terms, that's called sanctification. You understand more that what you thought was good when you were X old or X mature now is different, now that you're farther along. And your, your opinions about things change, or at least they should, so they become more what God says is good, I say is good. And what God said is evil or wicked or wrong or bad or disgusting, I say is. But I'm a very fallible person who grew up in a very fallible world and a fallible family. I have a fallible mind and fallible emotions. So I really have to work on this. And Paul says, hold fast to what is good. See that in Romans 12. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. He goes on. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Remember that, that wicked servant was slothful. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Faithful. Be constant in prayer. Faithful. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Hospitality is where we share what we have with others. We're fruitful in the gifts that we have. 
And so, so our goodness then gets super rooted in God's goodness. And when you get rooted in God's goodness, you've got to go back to Genesis 1 and 2, where God kept on creating and calling it good. The works of God's creation are good. You think about hikes, mountains, sunsets, oceans, plains, and and rivers. I grew up in Missouri, and so we went canoeing all the time, and I hadn't been because Oklahoma, not so much, a canoeing culture. And so during COVID, (laughs) I didn't know really what I was doing. I went canoeing a lot in Missouri, and I remembered, Matt, right? How beautiful the Buffalo River is, these canyons and these bluffs and the turtles everywhere and the fish swimming around and sometimes a snake every once in a while. My daughter says she saw a bear. I don't know if I believe her. And so you think about all the animals God made. We're still finding some. How He buried some of them deep in the deepest part of the ocean that no one's ever even seen and they're there. Bison to lightning bugs, all the flowers, all the grasses, all the herbs. The Baltimore Aquarium. Goodness gracious. This new telescope. Whoa! Those things are a long ways away. And God made all those things that we wouldn't even ever have seen without this thing. And He still made them big and massive and beautiful and mind-boggling. And think about the last thing God created. Male and female. People in His image. And what did He say? He said, we are very good. In all Shapes and sizes and colors and abilities and languages. No people are the same. Think about how many people have ever existed. None the same. It's amazing how good God's creation is. How abundant it is. How, how like these talents, how shared it is with us. And He creates these spaces and places and experiences and families and even jobs so that we can flourish and multiply and not hide and not hoard and not bury. And so when you are a good worker, it's not really only doing your job, dutifully doing your job. Really, I think, you know, I don't know, I'm not a employer management company but a a really good worker multiplies the efforts of the company through uh, diligence or through sales or or through uh, creating things or at least creating relationships it's multiplying that's the idea of what a good worker is a good parent is not a controlling parent i know we we all want to be in control but a good parent, it doesn't, I'm not saying zero control, right? Like, just go wherever you want. But the whole idea is you would 
bring this person into a flourishing adult that, that helps the world. A good teammate helps the team do better, flourish. A good friend, a good student, a good citizen, a good church member. As we reflect God's goodness, as we're fruitful and multiplying, and of course we sin and break and destroy and we get it wrong. Sometimes we didn't even know it. We, we, we call what's evil good and we call what's good evil. We justify our opinions. So we've not been good and faithful, right? So we've taken, uh, redefined, hoarded, buried, hurt, used, controlled, measured, monetized. And those things are against awe and wonder and beauty and generosity. And in Psalm 34, David tells us through the Lord's words, turn away from evil and do what is good. Seek and pursue peace. In Romans 12, same thing. Hold fast to what is good. In Galatians 6, we read, let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season, we will reap. There is a harvest coming. If we do not give up, if we're faithful, if we don't give up, we're going to see this harvest. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially those who are in the household of faith. These works of the flesh that we're talking about in Galatians 5, Remember those we talked about at the beginning? Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Not good. We're called to hold what is good, these fruits of the Spirit, and have genuine love and honor and fervent, patient prayer so we contribute and we show hospitality in, in all of creation. We share what we have and we see the redeeming love of God. So the goodness of God and all, all of that comes to us in the fruit of the Spirit and it goes from us out into the world to show the goodness of God. So as He gives, we give. As He forgives, we forgive. As He abounds in steadfast love, Jason reminded this, it's in the, the psalm, we abound in steadfast love. And we are not that great. But, but the, the number one quintessential isn't really just the creation, right? It, it's the redemption. Where God sent not five talents, His Son, Jesus, with affection, to overcome evil. That's in the text, uh, the bottom of this passage in Romans. Do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How did Jesus overcome evil? 
you know, he let evil happen to him, didn't he? He paid the price. He took the wrath. He conquered death by dying. Galatians 6 and earlier says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. How did Jesus bear our burdens? He took them. Goodness gracious. So, so we certainly cannot do this perfectly, but he did. He even did it for those who can't do it. It's always going to be the temptation is, okay, go out, do good. That's your job this week. Yes, okay, but we cannot. So we have to come to him confessing and be broken by it and, and repent and be invigorated by the Spirit as we then love his creation, especially people, as we share as we seek redemption, and as we ultimately understand what Psalm 16 says, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. We really got to think about that. Are we willing not to just quote that verse, but to believe that verse? So often we think that good is this curated box that gets sent to me once a month, you know. Or it's the new dress that I got to, to buy 